Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Talking Point after an eventful Saudi Arabian Grand Prix weekend that will probably be remembered for just as much for what happened off the track as what happened on it. Missile strikes near the circuit on Friday night led to very, very long meetings between drivers and Formula One management, but the race did eventually go ahead at the weekend. Sergio Perez claimed his first pole position in Formula One after 215 races, uh, was leading very well, and then the safety car came out at the wrong time for him and he ended up finishing P4 in the end, which is a cruel piece of luck for him, but we'll get into that a bit more later on uh we're very glad that mick schumacher is okay as well after a 170 mile an hour crash side on and that's proof if ever it were needed that formula one safety is uh is much much better and we should not take that for granted at all but the key battle came at the front. It was uh, Max Verstappen against Charles Leclerc, round two. Uh, Verstappen won out on this one. I don't think I've ever seen Formula One drivers play chicken before to go uh, to try and get into the DRS zone, but there's plenty to unpack today. And I'm delighted to say that joining us today is uh, is Will from FP1 on YouTube. Will, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm really good. Uh, excited to talk about this one. Yeah, there's plenty, plenty to unpack, isn't there? It's, uh, you know, from uh, from a Ferrari and Rebel perspective, it was another good weekend for them, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it, it was. And it does show who's got the regs right, who's got them wrong. Um, and we got, it, it's great to see as well, two very different concepts in the Ferrari and the Red Bull, both very evenly matched on pace. And it's giving us some fantastic racing. So let's uh, let's dive straight into it then. So our driver ratings, we will start with Lewis Hamilton getting a nine out of 10. And then this is going to be something that gets quite a contentious issue. So John Wilde, Explain yourself, please. Uh, morning, Henry. Morning. Will. Good morning, I, by the I, way. Yes, apologies. <laughs> I, um, I I don't really think Lewis did an awful lot wrong in the race at all. I thought um, he, he put in a series of overtakes and, and his race really, the only reason why he finished down in 10th was because of the timing of the virtual safety car and uh, the closing of the pit lane, which meant he couldn't come into the pits to change his tyres. Uh, it meant he dropped down the order uh, behind several other cars. But for that, I think he would have finished a, a clear sixth. He would have been behind George Russell, obviously. Um, so I don't think he did anything wrong at all in the race. Um, I mean, you could compare his race actually sort 
sort of on a similar level to that of Sergio Perez, I think, actually, really, who was also inconvenienced by uh, the timing of a safety car. So I think the only thing you could really mark uh, Hamilton down for on the weekend was um, the way he set up his car for qualifying, which left him down in P16 uh, after Q1 and uh, left him in a very unfavourable position on the grid. And But for that, I think it was a, a really good drive from him. Yeah, there was plenty, plenty for him to do, but the uh, the comments on our website sort of lit up a bit, uh, saying I've convinced Planet F1 have given Lewis a nine for a wind-up. Uh, as a Hamilton fan, even I think giving him a nine is ridiculous. Um, and there's yeah, plenty more besides, unfortunately. But it's, again, it's all subjective, isn't it? And uh, from that point of view, Will, where, where would you put Hamilton on that spectrum? I definitely wouldn't go with a nine, sorry. Um, I think the qualifying... Yeah, it, it was... Quality was so strange because... Even up to FP3, he seems to have the measure on George. And I don't know what went wrong, but uh, yeah, it was pretty, pretty catastrophic. Um, it was a bit of a ballsy strategy, I think, from from Mercedes as well, going that long uh, on the uh, on the hard tire. And yeah, they were inconvenienced, but Lewis just didn't really seem on it after after third practice. It was really strange. So if I had to go there and maybe a, a six, I'd say it, it's. I really don't know where to put him because it's a very un-Lewis-like weekend, wasn't it? And now let's move on to another driver who got 9 out of 10, John Sergio Perez. Um, it really wasn't with him this weekend, was it? After such a, an amazing qualifying map from him, how do you think he fared at the weekend? Well, obviously fantastic uh, qualifying final lap, as you say. He snatched uh, pole position from, well, Science had it originally, then Leclerc grabbed it in the in the closing stages of qualifying, and then Perez came along and beat them all. But uh, yeah, as you say, in the race, it was uh, it was very unfortunate for him the, the timing of that safety car. After that, uh, he was he was running fourth just behind Carlos Sainz. He, I mean, the, the two of them were in a different uh, a different league to, to Verstappen and Leclerc, really, weren't they, in, in the race? Um, you know, it, it, it was looking sort of pretty clear who were the number one drivers for those teams, Sainz and and uh, Perez couldn't keep up with them. He, he uh, put in a challenge to, to Sainz to try and sort of uh, grab that last podium spot, but uh, put in a purple lap at one stage, but uh, couldn't, couldn't really put in a meaningful challenge in the end and uh, had to settle for fourth. But uh, I think it was a weekend when Perez's stock has risen again. Uh, he, uh, you know, he's not, not the most consistent uh, performer at Red Bull since he went there last year, but uh, this is one he can look back on. Uh, uh, certainly very proud of his own performance. And Will, on top of that as well, he um, he was running so well in the lead as well, wasn't he, to start with? And, um, you know, sometimes these things just happen, don't they? Yeah, I was about to say that, exactly, exactly that. Uh, I mean, we've got to remember as well that qualifying, especially last year, was maybe Perez's weak point. There were several points where he didn't even get through uh, the second part of qualifying. I think, was it Zanvoort uh, and Bahrain, I think the two that, that come to mind straight away. So going pole, uh, especially at a track like Saudi Arabia, is uh, really, really impressive. And as you said, at the start of the Grand Prix, he was a comfortable two seconds clear of Leclerc. It didn't look like at that stage of the race that the Ferrari could get much closer than that. So, yeah, really gutted for him. But uh, that's just Formula One at the end of the day. That's it. He's one of those likable characters. And at the end of the day, you just want him to do well, John, don't you? It looked like, a, it looked like something that could quite comfortably have been a win for him in the, in the end, couldn't it? 
It could, absolutely. But uh, I suspect that Red Bull are probably not too disappointed that it was Max who uh, who won, actually, from a championship perspective. I think that was the result that, deep down, they would have been hoping for at the start of the weekend, just to get Max right back into the championship picture, close the gap on uh, on Charles Leclerc. And uh, But, of course, you know, Sergio Perez, uh, very handy for, for them from a constructors' championship uh, perspective. And he'll continue, I think, throughout the season to uh, to provide plenty of valuable points for them. So let's talk about the world champion then. Max Verstappen, a 9.5 out of 10 for you, John, the highest mark of the day. What, what merits that for you? Well, uh, apart from the obvious that, uh, that he won, I mean, it, it was a you know a pretty complete performance from Max on the day, wasn't it? He did everything he needed to do. I mean, what a battle with Charles Leclerc as well. I mean, it was one that could have gone either way. They were dueling for, for several laps. It was Max who just came out on top in the end. Again, you know, he, he sounded a little bit sort of agitated in the cockpit, didn't he? He was, he was uh, calling for Leclerc to be penalised for crossing the pit entry line. He was told by his race engineer to just concentrate on his own job, leave leave the rest up to the team. But uh, yeah, it was, you know, I'd say it was the driver of a world champion, wouldn't you? It, w- it was uh, everything you hoped it would be uh, from his perspective and uh, puts him right back into the championship picture. And, uh, you know, he has to be favourite to, uh, to go on and win in Australia now, I think, as well. And Will, from uh, from Verstappen's point of view, I mean, we mentioned in the intro about two drivers playing chicken and uh, for Max Verstappen to play chicken as well, that, that takes quite something. Do you reckon there's a sort of new maturity about him this year? I think it's more that he will race Leclerc differently to how he raced Hamilton. He has raced with Charles quite a lot in his junior career. And if you compare uh, Leclerc to Hamilton, he's a lot more aggressive. He's very much like Max in that in that sense where he will go for those risky moves. He will put his car on the line, as we saw at several points, I think, last year as well. Uh, and I think Max has to go in a little bit more cautious. He knew that, uh, say, at the end of last year, looking at Brazil is, is the perfect example. He knew that Hamilton would just get out of the way. He couldn't risk his championship um, like Max could, because Max was in the lead at that point. Uh, with Charles, uh, it's a brand new season. Now Max is the one on the back foot. Uh, he's got to be careful here. If he puts his car on the wall again and Leclerc manages to go on and win the race, that's now 50 points at the top of the championship, 52 maybe, uh, with fastest laps being taken into account. So I think he's, as we get closer to the end of the season, I think that will change. I think they'll get maybe a little bit more aggressive as things get uh, more and more heated between those two. But it's been a fantastic showcase, hasn't it? I think, you know, Bahrain and Saudi Arabia, both of these races, they, they've been racing, you know, right on the limit. Uh, and it's just been fantastic to watch, really. Uh, the one thing that surprised me, I think, with Max, uh, he was going on and having a go at, uh, at Leclerc for crossing the white line, which I think he was investigated for in qualifying. Was he not doing it himself? Well, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know about that one, but... Um, Hey, it was it was it was still a lot of fun to watch those two. So your final rating, John uh, Nicholas Satifi getting a three out of ten. I mean, were we surprised it's even that high? <laughs> well, I think the point with that one, Henry, is that he was clearly the worst driver over the course of the weekend, with with two crashes on in um, over the weekend in qualifying and in the race. I mean, you can't really excuse that. I think, uh, yeah, you could you could have gone two, one, maybe even zero if uh, if you'd wanted to with him. But um, on, he, he turned up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. But uh, there wasn't a lot else apart from that, was there? In all honesty, I think he he probably managed to get through Friday without uh, putting it in the wall. But um, yeah, I mean that. That's now um, 
two crashes in three races for him. We only have to think back to Abu Dhabi, don't we? And we all know what the ramifications of that were. So, uh, so uh, yeah. No, 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 we closed that can of worms, John. Come on, let's not open it again. <laughs> <laughs> I think if I didn't, Henry, somebody else would, believe well, you me. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not a great start to the season for Latifi at all, is it? Um, he, uh, he was slowest in qualifying last week, of course, as well. Um, but I mean, I think the Williams team have got bigger issues uh, than just him, haven't they, at the moment? That car's looking pretty slow, perhaps the worst on the grid. And he did say in his interviews afterwards that the balance was uh, was was an absolute handful and uh, it was proving very difficult to drive. And, uh, and so it proved as he put it into the wall again. And on that point, where it looked like a bit of a weird way to go out, didn't it? A sort of snap of oversteer like that. Yeah, and it was the second weird incident for the weekend because his crash in qualifying at that point in the circuit, you don't really see the rear step out. So part of me thinks maybe this is a characteristic of that Williams this year. They've had issues with their rear wing and their rear downforce in the past. I think it was 20, I want to say 18, where their rear wing kept stalling. Um, and there's a, I think it's Spain in particular, they were really struggling at just keeping that car in a straight line. Um, so maybe there was a fundamental error issue with the car, but I think you've got to put some of the blame on Latifi as well, unfortunately. And I like the guy, but... Yeah, it's it's so far not been a very good start to the year. Obviously, massively off the pace in Bahrain. Two accidents now in Saudi Arabia, which won't be helping the coffers of the Williams F1 team. And you've got to start wondering, you know, could they start looking at, uh, at maybe somebody else for next year? But hey, it's, it's a shame because I really like the guy. And um, sadly, he just keeps adding people to his... Uh, uh, I don't really like you very much, Liz. Uh, he had all the Hamilton fans, and now all of Mexico don't like him. So, uh, yeah, you, you, you've got you've got to feel for him. But um, hey, hopefully you can turn it around. Yeah, what's what's he got to do, right, John? This uh, yeah, the, the sort of little wider question about his future now. There's still a lot of time for him to change things around, though. Uh, there is there's another 21 races if if they give him that long. I think they will do actually because of the funding he brings from um, from Safina. But uh, I mean, I think Latifi he's an intelligent guy. He strikes me. I think he will know what kind of position he's in at the moment. He speaks pretty candidly in his interviews about it, and he'll know the pressures on him. And uh, he, he really needs to uh, to start picking it up big time um, in Australia and, and on from there. Right, John, thank you very, very much for joining us. Um, I'd probably steer clear of the comments for now if I were you, but, you know, we'll we'll, we'll come back strong in Australia, I'm sure. Well, don't, don't forget, Henry, of course, only, you know, we're only two races into the season. Yeah. We've got pl- plenty of time to improve, just like Nic- Nicholas Latifi, hopefully. But, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be uh, a bit more sort of at the Max Verstappen end of the scale uh, in a few races. Time. Oh, it's all right. Everyone's got an opinion and yours is just as valid as everyone else's. Remember that now, OK? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Henry. That's all right. It's probably a more message for, for for you listening as much as anything else. <laughs> right, thanks, John. Right into our conclusions from the race weekend as well. There are still uh, still plenty of things to talk about. And on that, Oliver, let's bring you in. How are you feeling? I'm very well. You? Yeah, not too bad at all. Thank you. So let's uh, so let's begin with Verstappen against Leclerc. Then, yeah. So it could end up surpassing twenty twenty one in your opinion. What what makes you uh, what makes you say that for now? Well, yeah, we seem to spend our winter wondering, you know, how could how could 2021 be bettered? Um, and it looks like we've got our answer already. Um, you know, Leclerc and Verstappen have, have established a really uh, interesting rivalry at the beginning of the season. It's been going between them. There was obviously that clip, there's obviously that famous clip from when they were younger back in the karting days, I think it's about 10 years ago now, when they were um, arguing over a particular incident. We obviously had um, 2019, the the clash in Austria and uh, and Silverstone straight afterwards, and now they're both at the front with uh, 
cars capable of winning races and it, it really has been an interesting start to the season. And there's pl- there's always uh, the sort of nicey-nicey start to the season, isn't there? But do you reckon this one could uh, could end up erupting down the line, Will? I think it's got to at some point. The way they are racing at the moment, it, we said this about Hamilton and Verstappen, I think, at this point last year. It's going to come to a point where they make contact. That, I think, is inevitable at this stage. And the fallout from that, I think, is going to be very, very interesting. And with with that as well, there's such a, there's such a long way to go, Oliver. Is there going to be a particular track or a particular moment you think that could end up bringing out some some kind of incident between the two? I mean, these these changes in Australia could play their part, couldn't they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Australia's going to be very interesting to see if um, you know Red Bull have obviously come out with straight line speed. Let's see if they can can match Ferrari for downforce in Australia. Um, it is probably going to be a matter of time before they come to close on track and this this rivalry is ignited in the way that's um, Silverstone was last season for Hamilton and um, and Verstappen. And it was another one of your conclusions as well, but let's just touch on the uh, the wider implications in terms of racing as well. The fact that they can battle each other for so long in the race, that, that speaks volumes about how well these uh, these regulations have come into play, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it was very easy to jump to conclusions after Bahrain. Um, you know, Bahrain's always, always provided um, very good racing, even in the past with the extreme high downforce cars. Uh, but Jeddah, you know, it obviously wasn't very, very easy to overtake last year. And it's that kind of track, I think, where the success of these of these new regulations is going to be found. And well, with these uh, with these moments where they are slamming on the brakes to avoid uh, the DRS line as well, with on tracks where, uh, where as you say, Oliver, there's pretty much only one overtaking point that could uh, that could end up being uh, a feature of the season, especially well, especially if they're as far ahead as they were. I don't think they'd be able to take that risk if, uh, say, Science was on their tail. Yeah, and. and- That's what excites me when we do have a three car battle like that. And I think it's a matter of time before we do get one. That's going to be very, very interesting. And I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I I think it was almost, it was almost comical. There are a few people that are almost ripping into it and they're saying, oh, you know, should we really have cars for this? But you know, it's all strategy and it's very, very fun to watch. As long as it doesn't get to a point where it's dangerous or you've got a car, you know, a, a lot higher speed behind doesn't see these two, you know, kind of trundling towards the DRS lie over who can get it first, then rear ends one of them. But as long as we don't get to that stage, I, I'm all for it. It's uh, it's a nice little layer of strategy and, and it just shows how, you know, clever these Formula One drivers are and 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 the the ways they can they can get these overtakes to work. It's fantastic. And Oliver, from your point of view as well, is uh, is there a particular thing about the 22 regs that have um that have sort of like surpassed your expectations in a way, considering how much things have changed? Not really, to be honest. I think there are signs, especially in Bahrain, that the tyres are still going to be a limiting factor. You know, we had the um, uh, the clash between Verstappen and Leclerc after the pit stops, where Verstappen was having a really good go, and Leclerc obviously got him back into turn four. And in the end, you know, they, they did have to cool it down after a few laps. So the tyres probably are going to be a limiting factor um, in terms of how much the, the cars can race still, as ever. Yeah. And then we've already touched on Sergio Perez earlier on, but from from his point of view, you know, he was going into the weekend supposedly with equal status uh, with Verstappen and Oliver, and it's um, you know, it's, it's that's a tough one to take for him, isn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, um, it was an amazing performance for him really to, to secure pole on a track like Jetty, You know, a place that that rewards um, you know precision, uh, accuracy, bravery more than anywhere else. Um, and yeah, it was it was leading it perfectly from the front. 
he was really in control of the race until the safety car. It's almost that it's it reminded me almost of when Bottas was leading in Baku a few years ago and his tyre let go right at the end. He was absolutely devastated by that. It's always these kind of things that trip up uh, number two drivers. It's almost as if the racing gods are reminding them to know their place almost. <laughs> and well, that's, yeah, it's probably quite a strong way of putting it, Will, but it, it, there's kind of a point there, isn't there? Yeah, I feel for Sergio because let's be honest, he was never going to be, he's never going to be the number one at Red Bull. Um, And at this stage of the season where the championship isn't really on the minds of everybody, of of the team, it's very early days. It's only race two. This was a chance for him to go through and and take that win. Um, And yeah, it's, it's, it's such a shame because I think I'm just worried it hits his confidence now. Um, that's the one thing we, we've seen, you know, mentality is such a big thing in Formula One. And uh, when a driver loses that confidence in the car or loses that, uh, that almost motivation, the way it can, it can really impact their performances. So I hope he can bounce back from this and he, I hope he has a good result uh, next time out in Australia. But uh, yeah, just, just going for the guy. And um, I think he does deserve some good luck at some point. And more to the point where was uh, someone checks in on his dad yet? Oh, God. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah. Bless him. Bless him. He's, he's really been through the ringer this weekend, hasn't he, Oliver? <laughs> yeah. yeah I so George Russell finished in P5, Oliver, but do you reckon that's still, you know, that, well, you wrote in your conclusions that kind of masks things for Mercedes for now. Do you reckon that's going to be the case moving forward? Yeah, this race, it's really hard to see how they're going to actually win race this season because, you know, Russell did uh, finish fifth, but he was 30 seconds behind. Lewis Hamilton was, I think, around 40 seconds behind at the time of the safety car in Bahrain. So it just goes to show just how far off they are at the minute. Um, you know, serious changes are going to be needed at Mercedes, I think, for them to get back into contention this season. And Will, they said after their uh, their sort of pre-race debrief in uh, in Bahrain that they were hoping to be back at the front in two to three races. Is that a bit, amb- a bit ambitious for them? I think it's very ambitious, especially looking at the the deficit they were today. And it looks like it's not only an aero problem necessarily, but the engine. Um, and I never thought I'd say a Mercedes engine looks like the worst one on the grid. But uh, just look at in qualifying how many cars back there were, were Mercedes powered. You know, McLaren, Aston, Williams. Those are the team three teams are talking that are struggling. And uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's 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 a really weird one. It's it's a strange era of Formula One, especially you know after we've had these eight years of Mercedes engine dominance, uh, and now all of a sudden we are um, maybe looking at them as the as, as the worst. And how much can they do to actually fix that uh, with the with the engine freezes and and the limitations there are in uh, in uh, in uh, developing these engines? It, it makes me wonder if there's maybe a, a link with the new fuel. Uh, it's the new E10 fuel that they are they are um, uh, debuting this year. I wonder if that's maybe a factor as to why uh, all of a sudden they seem to have almost taken a step back because straight line speed, which, you know, really hurt them in Jeddah, uh, just seems pretty lacking compared to everyone else at the moment. And Oliver, that's a, that's a really strong point as well, isn't it? Because this might not just be for now with that engine freeze. That's four seasons. That is That could be a lot of pain for them. Really is, yeah. And as I said last week, it's almost traced back to when Andy Cowan left in 2020. He had a lot of credit for for Mercedes' success under the in, in the hybrid era. And since uh, since he resigned, you know, they obviously had the worries with the reliability last season. And this year, it's kind of manifesting his performance. I've been tracking the the qualifying speed traps over the first few races, and uh, Mercedes cars six out of the bottom eight. In um, Bahrain, when Mercedes cars through the speed trapping qualifying, and in Jeddah, um, obviously Sonoda didn't set a time. But apart from that, um, 
six of the seven slowest drivers in in the speed trap in Jeddah were, were Mercedes drivers. So there are serious problems there as well as as well as with the car. So do you reckon that's a, that's something that there's only so much Mercedes could do with that car, Oliver? Probably, yeah. Um, you know, we we have seen teams before. It's very hard in, uh, in the budget cap. Having said that, though, in, in terms of you know bringing a, a C spec car, because let's assume that you know this no sad part design was the B spec and the 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 car that they began winter testing was with, was the original spec. Um, it's it's going to be very hard for them to dig themselves out of the hole for now uh, until. Obviously, we have the new rules with um, in terms of wind tunnel and CFD development time. That resets, I think, at the beginning of June. So I think until that point, it's going to be paying for Mercedes, but it'll be interesting to see how much progress they can um, claw back with the view to coming back again and fighting for the title in, in 2023. Um, I think the summer is going to be quite important for them in terms of, of getting back in contention. So, Oliver, your final conclusion then. Um the the, the Jeddah layout is sort of billed as the world's fastest street circuit, and uh, Mick Schumacher came a cropper of it. But you seem like you wrote that the the sort of layout as fine as it is. Is that kind of a uh, is, is the point behind that a bit of a risk and reward element to it? Yeah, it, there's 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 nothing else like it on on the calendar. To be honest, um, I think we're conditioned to to dislike all things Saudi Arabia, um, but I think I think the track it's unlike anything else um in terms of you know that that risk and reward element as you say bravery um it does bite um i'm very uncomfortable with the, with the idea that um you know circuits are certain circuits are dangerous in this day and age because they wouldn't be on the calendar if they were dangerous they all present their own challenges um and i think jeddah presents more challenges than most but in terms of respecting in terms of watching drivers really wringing the necks of these cars and putting them on the limit i think there's no place like it in, um for action uh, what do you think that was? It's, it's kind of a combination of the tightness of Monaco, yet the speed almost of Spa. I mean, does that does that sound like a good recipe or something a bit more tricky? It sounds like a recipe for disaster. I think I'm. I, I, I think we've got to look back on the weekend and, and and see that three drivers were withdrawn from the event over the course of Formula One and Formula Two, and we shouldn't be in a situation where that's the case. Um, you can still have the circuit be quick with by adding a little bit of runoff here and there, you know, or my idea was just safer barrier, um, like they have in in, in places like the Indy 500. I, I, I've not looked into this a lot, so there may be a, a massive flaw in in that plan. But um, where Schumacher went into the wall, it was pure concrete, and you know we saw that accident. And it, it was without the hay though. I, I, I and they're at the crash structure. Um, I really worry for what would have happened to Mick and. Yeah, it's all. I think it's all having exciting racing, and and I'm all for exciting racing. But if it comes at the at the significant risk or the heightened risk of the drivers, we know motorsports dangerous. But you know, this this Saudi track has thrown up some pretty serious accidents. Uh, back to Formula Two last season as well uh, as yet another example. I, I I don't know what they can do to it because obviously it's a street circuit. It's confined within um the, the the space that they've got there's there's not much kind of wiggle room there in terms of adapting it um but uh yeah it it, it does it, it makes it makes me a little bit uncomfortable i think um watching the races sometimes and I, and I think it was last season when we had like the third restart i was just sat there quite almost nervous and i've not, I've not been like that in a formula one grand prix before um since maybe spa 2019 where i was just like i just had this horrible feeling that you know something could go very very wrong here and at the speeds that we're at um that could have quite dire consequences so yeah i think there is this kind of 
uh, kind of especially on Twitter, there's this this kind of idea of Saudi Arabia. We hate it. We hate it. We hate it. Um, and I do think that kind of clouds a few people's judgments here and there. But uh, yeah, I, I just think maybe they could. There should be more that can be done there, um, especially with the, with the types of barriers that we're seeing to uh, maybe increase the safety even more. Yes, Oliver, there were there were changes last year what, uh, into this year in terms of widening the track slightly. Do you think that's that's sort of enough? And do you reckon the FIA's confidence is uh, is sort of enough in their uh, in its own way at the moment? Yeah, there the were um, changes to improve visibility, of course. Um, I, th- I do think the curb where where Mick crashed is is uh, troublesome, but. Also, I, I I was kind of troubled by the coverage of Mick's crash. I think I, I did feel like it created a almost a kind of false sense of alarm. You know, this this uh, reluctance to show replays, even though reports um, parts from the area. You know, Mick was speaking. We had those very early on, and that he'd been transferred to hospital, that he'd been on phone to his mum. It seemed like he'd spoken to everybody in the vicinity before F1 felt it was safe to show replays of it. I, I didn't find it was it was so bad a crash. Yeah. Well, from from a broadcasting point of view, though, you'd probably argue that it's you know, better, better safe than sorry on that front, especially after seeing what happened with Ayrton Senna. I think that's the the go to example for people, isn't it? Really? Mm. Yeah, but I, I, th- I think F one is in a, in a kind of strange situation because obviously we had with the Grosjean accident a few years ago. I think people like um, Ricardo kind of made a big deal of that of how when they were waiting for the restart, um, that crashes were repeatedly shown on TV. I think we have to accept also that this crashes is a fundamental part of of F one. And, and a fundamental part of its appeal, really, as long as nobody gets hurt. And it was clear quite early on that Mick wasn't seriously injured. He did miss, he did miss the race, but that was because Haas didn't have enough spare parts and the car was crumpling to bits it was, as it was taken away. Right, so Oliver, thank you very, very much for joining us with your conclusions. Uh, we'll, speak, we'll speak to you next time. So well, there was one thing that we didn't touch on in all that as well, and that, that was the two Alpines battling, wasn't it? I mean, that, we saw a sea of pink for, for a big chunk of the race, didn't we? And that, that, was, a, that was a good thing to see too. Yeah, BWT are loving this. They've got a massive amount of sponsor <laughs> appeal. Um, it, it was it was great, and it was really nice to see them quite feisty. I was I I was a little bit worried, thinking, "Oh, come on, these guys get on really well. Don't don't let them fall out over this." I was kind of expecting one to pile drive into the back of the other at one stage, but it was great close racing. It was another example of how you know beneficial these new twenty twenty two regulations are, and uh, yeah, it was good to hear them both after the Grand Prix as well. Um, very much reveling in that in in that fight and uh, and enjoying it, both drivers. So uh, yeah, really, really, really nice. And in terms of the wider championship picture as well, there's there's still so uh, so many races to go. But you know, you're seeing a sort of is is there a way Mercedes can get back into this from your point of view? No, I don't think so. I think if anything, we're looking at a almost backwards Braun situation um, where if you think about how dominant Braun were at the start of the season and then, uh, which obviously a Mercedes now, uh, and even though they didn't win a single race in the second half of the year, Red Bull weren't able to fight back. And there were less races back then, fine, but I I don't think this is an overnight fix um, for, for, for Mercedes. I think there are issues on several different levels. I don't think Mercedes really know where the issues are yet. And uh, yeah, I think this is going to be a, not a write-off year necessarily, um, but I think there's going to be quite significant revisions made to the uh, 2023 car um, when we come to see that next season. 
Okay, so well, let's let's finish off with your F1 first then. So for any first-time guests, we're getting you to basically describe your first memories of Formula 1. So from your point of view, what is the, the sort of first thing you can remember about Formula 1? Maybe race you watched or uh, or just in general, really seeing a car somewhere and thinking, wow, that looks cool. <laughs> um so i've got there are a couple i don't know what order they're in though because it was so so far back um i was brought up around formula one like my mum was a massive fan of the sport i would just sit there and watch it with her because i couldn't really wander off anywhere else at the time you know i was i was i was i was, I was that young but um it would have been either uh one of the very early monaco grand prix because i remember just every, i had a i have this i this love for monaco uh because it had a tunnel little four-year-old me Love the fact there was a tunnel uh, and every race would be, is this the one with the tunnel? Is this the one with the tunnel? Um, even if Monaco was a week ago, I'd still be asking it. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, the other the other memory, and I, again, I can't remember what came, what came earlier, uh, was when they had the demo run in London. I think that was 2004 as well. I might be wrong. Um, but I never even saw it at that point because by the time we got there, the crowds were so thick. But I could, I remember being sat on my... Uh, I think on my, on my dad's shoulders and I just I just hear the cars going through. It's the V10s as well. And and yeah, it's one of those two memories. I don't know which one came first, but um, yeah, they stick out. And uh, did you have a particular driver that you supported first of all? Um, back then, I think I just liked the Jaguar cars because they were green and I like the color green. Um, when, I, when, I, when I kind of got into watching Formula One independently, because uh, I think my mum stopped watching after Schumacher retired, uh, and then she started watching again when he came back. So I unfortunately missed uh, 2007, 8 and 9, which were three fantastic seasons. But um, in 2010, I came back and was watching it a little bit more independently. Big Mark Webber fan at that point, and that's kind of transitioned into Danny Rick now. But uh, yeah, was a, was, a, was a big big Mark Webber fan and Red Bull fan at the, uh, at the early stages. Yeah, that, well, I've always wondered how uh, how different that could have been if Weber won that 2010 championship, you know. It hurts. It hurts. I think I cried over that. Ten-year-old me was in tears at the end of that Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, but hey, it is what it is. Uh, and do you have any particular memories of the first Grand Prix that you went to or, or just saw in general? So this is a little bit more recent. First Grand Prix and only Grand Prix I've been to was uh, Silverstone last year. Um, and honestly, it's, it was so good. It was so good. I remember being sat uh, during qualifying. We were sat at Maggots and Beckett's. And then when Mazepin spun around, there was this collective just laughter from the entire, <laughs> from the entire, it just echoed around the track. It was, it was, <sighs> that, that, that was, that was, it was That's cruel, a, but also yeah, very savage. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's, oh, if you haven't been to a Grand Prix, it was great. I'm sadly not going this year. I'll be chilling on the beach in Tenerife instead, but um, <laughs> yeah, I still win, I guess. But um, yeah, yeah, uh, it, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, that atmosphere must have been incredible, though. Like, what did, what was the sort of reaction there when Hamilton and Verstappen crashed at Cops? Yeah, so at that point I was sat at Farm Curve for the race, so we'd seen them go through, and I think it, it was, there was um, I'm trying to remember it was a gasp followed by a cheer because Hamilton was still in it and Verstappen was out, uh, followed by another "Hang on a minute, is he okay?" Um, there were quite a lot of emotions going around at that time. I was on the complete other side of the circuit, but you can hear the entirety of Silverstone just you know, in uproar once, uh, when those two came together. Um, but well, what a race, honestly, what a race it was to watch. Yeah. Even if you're not a Hamilton fan as well, that must've mm. been by some atmosphere when you were there. Oh yeah. hundred percent. It was, uh, that, that's, that's the reason that you go to the Grand Prix. You have obviously all the cars going around. They're fantastic to watch, but the overall atmosphere, I think it's so underrated. If you've never been to a Grand Prix before, there's nothing really like it. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, 
really, yeah, really, really interesting to, to, yeah, um, be involved in. And, uh, yeah, a lot of fun. And uh, where would we be able to find your, your YouTube channel and everything? If, if anyone's not seen it before, it's great. Yeah, um, so I run a channel called FP1. I'm basically mixing Formula 1 with moderately edgy comedy. Uh, or I try to. Some of the jokes land, some of them don't. But uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a lot of fun. I'm also on Twitter, at FP1Will, uh, and the same on Twitch as well, where I do live race watch-alongs uh, and things with the, uh, with the community. And well, we really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for joining us. No worries, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for for watching or listening as well. And uh, you can find us on, on Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts, or you can watch us on planetf1.com. Make sure you go to planetf1.com as well for just any news and views that are happening from around the Formula One paddock. Uh, we've got you more than covered. And you can follow us on any of our social media pages as well. And we will be there with you throughout the entire F1 season. And thank you for joining us. And we will be speaking to you again soon. Podcast Network.